You're listening to On the Ear, an audiology podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Dr. Dakota Sharp, AUDCCCA, audiologist, clinical professor, and lifelong learner. While I primarily work with pediatric cochlear implants and hearing aids, I am absolutely intrigued by the many areas of audiology and communication in general. This podcast aims to explore the science of hearing, balance, and communication with a variety of experts in hopes of equipping you to better serve your patients, colleagues, and students. So let's go. We are live and on the ear, brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Unilateral hearing loss is a common audiologic problem with a lot of different treatment options. Cross hearing aids, bone anchor devices, now cochlear implants, and unilateral hearing loss can have far-reaching impacts on someone's hearing health and quality of life. Localization, binaural summation, and squelch, whatever that is. Now, let's imagine navigating the challenges of unilateral hearing loss as an audiologist. Our guest today has that experience and has fantastic advice for better serving your patients. Dr. Sophia Roller, AUD is a clinical audiologist in private practice outside Baltimore, Maryland. Dr. Roller's passion for hearing healthcare stems from her personal experience. She was born with genetic single-sided deafness and grew up with family members who are also deaf and hard of hearing. She received her undergraduate degree from James Madison University, where she continued on to achieve her clinical doctorate of audiology, Go Dukes. She is a current fellow member of the Academy of Doctors of Audiology and the president of the Maryland Academy of Audiology. Wow. She has served as the MAA convention chair and MAA member at large. Dr. Roller is passionate about early intervention for congenital hearing loss, improving quality of life for all ages through advanced hearing technology, and advocacy and accommodation for those with hearing loss. When not at work, she is probably playing sports, doing her nails, ask her about those powders, I think that's what they're called, browsing for indoor plants, trying a new restaurant or recipe, or dreaming about the beach. I'm so with you there, Sophie. Dr. Roller is hilarious. She's passionate. She's brilliant. We are so lucky to have her as a guest here for On the Ear. So thank you so much for joining me today, Sophie. Thank you. It is such an honor to be here. I'm so excited. Yes, this is going to be a really exciting uh, topic. I've had a couple people ask me to talk more about unilateral hearing loss. I feel like it's, you know, it's a hot topic right now. We had the recent recommendations, I guess, last year regarding SSD and CIs, and then it seems like there's a new cross hearing aid and everybody wants the new cross thing. And what do we do about bone? It just seems like I'm hearing more about it all the time. Yeah, it's good to get some recognition too, because it's a lesser common way to have hearing loss i would i would say it's it's um not known about too often and not talked about too often so it's good yeah and i tried to look into like what is the incidence like how many people in the u.s have unilateral hearing loss and everything's like it's unknown we don't really know because a lot of people don't realize they have unilateral hearing loss so many people can fly under the radar and not realize you know that they're missing on things yeah exactly i actually did it was not known that i had unilateral hearing loss until i was five Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So hold on. That's a great starting point. So can you tell me a little bit about your hearing loss? And I mean, I know personally, cause we're friends, but if you want to share a little bit about like your etiology and other unilateral hearing losses, you know, of, or how it's impacted your family, things like that. Absolutely. So I have what's called Wardenburg syndrome. It's an autosomal dominant genetic mutation. Uh, I have it. My father is the one who passed it on to me and my sister, my mom and my big brother, they are, are not carriers of it. They do not have it. So there's four different types and each type has a few different versions that can be expressed. Um, 
that some of the common genes that are affected are PAX3 or MITF. There's, there's other ones as well. So autosomal dominant genetic mutation, meaning that um, you need one person to carry its dominant, and that would be my dad. And then with a normal partner, um, that would be my mom. Then it's a 50-50 chance that the child would have Wardenburg or not have Wardenburg. So I have Wardenburg and my sister does, and then my brother does not. Um, now I'm deaf in my right ear, completely, profoundly deaf. Um, so when someone does my audiogram, they get all the way to 120 decibels and I am not pressing the button. Um, mm. Other people around are probably hearing it. I am not pressing the button. <laughs> it is no response. Um, my left ear is completely normal and I try and protect it to the best of my ability all the time to keep it going. My sister was born completely deaf. And actually that's, that's not true actually. She was born with some residual hearing and she wore hearing aids for a very short time before it was all gone. Um, so then she was implanted with a cochlear implant um, at, I wanna say it was 30 months of age. Um, and so she and I have different expressions of that. I've always wondered, so I said autosomal dominant, right? So it's a 50-50 chance that any of us kids in this family would have Wardenburg or not. But with a sure. 50-50 chance, I've actually always been curious, and I don't think I'll ever find, be able to really know, but I've always been curious what are the chances that someone, a kid in my family would be more like my sister or more like me, going up the lineage of people that are affected, my dad, his dad, and so on. More of us have single-sided deafness, and my sister... Um, is one of the only ones um, completely deaf. So uh, that's always been interesting and, and every family is going to be different as the, as the genes are affected. Um, but the more, the, the common things you find with Wardenburg are going to be sensory neural hearing loss, more often going to be single-sided deafness. It doesn't have to be profound though. Um, my sister is bilateral profound. Uh, heterochromia is a one of the more common yes you have this right i, I remember your eyes have yes. really interesting colors yeah it's my favorite part uh, it's my favorite part of the package if i if i do say so myself so my right eye is uh, half blue half brown and my left eye is brown a slightly different shade of brown so uh, when people look at me they'll kind of just stop in their tracks in their sentences because they'll notice and they'll just stop and stare and then it makes for a fun conversation. And yeah. so that's always fun. My sister has just bright blue eyes, um, a few specks of gray, uh, um, sorry, a few specks of brown, but she's just got these bright blue eyes ever since she was a baby. And what is common to have with Wardenburg that we don't have in our family is a white forelock of hair. Um, kind yeah. of in the front, there would be that gray or white forelock of hair that you, you see. We did not have that. Um, at all. And, and the people that would know, meaning audiologists that I meet, they'll check me for for that. <laughs> and they'll say, oh, do you dye your hair? And I'll say, no, I don't. Um, and there's other things that you can have with Wardenburg that with the more prominent in certain types than um, others, but that we we don't really have. You could have, it could be more serious than what we've got. So it, sure. depending on the type, you can have cognitive issues, intellectual delay, you can have digestive issues. You could have limb abnormalities, like asymmetric legs and arms. You can have, um, so it's called dystopia cathorum, and it's a fancy way of saying that the inner canthi of the eyes, meaning 
the corner of your eye that's closest to your nose on either side is more spread out. The distance between is more spread out. And oh. so my, my sister had that. And I, my, some would say I've had that. I don't know. I'm biased. I think my eyes are okay. But the point, <laughs> I don't know if we would be, uh, uh, there's like a specific measurement. I've, I've had a ruler held up to the inner <laughs> my check, eyes yeah. to check if that is qualified. I don't remember what they said because I, I know I have Wardenburg. So um, yeah, there's just a lot of different uh, manifestations of this syndrome. And that is how we are affected. And um, again, my mom and my brother, totally normal hearing, brown eyes, very, very boring. You yeah, know? I, I had a really interesting uh, patient in a, at, at my uh, fourth year at the children's hospital. The family was Hispanic and the father was, you know, a middle-aged dad. Um, mm-hmm. He was Hispanic and he had bright white hair and bright blue eyes. Yeah. Um, and his daughter was born with bright blue eyes. And, but she, she had like a small white forelock. So anyways, they're in the, they're in the hospital. She's born and she's not passing her hearing screening. Mm -hmm. And the nurse is the one doing the hearing screening. And this is the dad told me the story later. Um, He's like, oh my goodness, she's not passing her hearing screening. And the nurse looks at him and she's like, well, yeah, because she's, you know, she's got Wardenburg syndrome. (laughs) What what is Warden? He had, he'd never heard of it. He's like, what is Wardenburg? She's like, oh, you've got it too. Your eyes are very, he was like, what? It had just blown his mind. He'd never heard of this before. That kind of sounds similar to to us because my, my parents had my brother and, um, you know, brown eyes, normal hearing, not that. Not that it was checked because at that time, 1989, um, newborn hearing screenings were not state mandated yet. And then I was born and I had different colored eyes. And again, no newborn hearing screening for me either in 1991 um, when I was born. But I had these different colored eyes. But my dad had different colored eyes and his dad had heterochromia. And Mm -hmm. people on that side of the family had heterochromia. And so, but that's all, that's all that it, it was just chalked up that that's something that spreads in our family that we have heterochromia, but, but there's nothing to do with hearing loss. Nothing like that ever came up. And my dad always knew he had a worse ear. Um, and he, I think he was told, or it was explained to him that sometime in childhood, he had maybe a vaccination or, or something penicillin that might've done it. Um, mm. at the time that's what was thought. And then, well, his dad knew that he had hearing loss, a, a bad ear. Why was that? Oh, it was something about, uh, noise exposure serving in the war kind of thing sure but sure it's always an um uh not an excuse but a reason that made sense at the time for it mm-hmm. for each person and then so I just had these different colored eyes like dad cool and then my sister was born 1995 so I was four years old when she was born and then in that first year of life my mom very very quickly knew something was wrong but was trying to take my sister to doctors after doctor after doctor to try and find out what the issue is and and Mm -hmm. she felt that something was wrong with her hearing from the experiments she was doing at home um eventually she found a doctor that that was on the right track um other doctors were telling her oh your your child is normal oh your child has autism oh your child is intellectually delayed oh your child or your child that um finally she came across to an ent and the ent looked at her and looked at me and looked at my dad and he said, he said, okay, this is Wardenburg syndrome. <laughs> and, uh, and it was discovered. And by that time she was closer to a year, I believe. Yeah. Then I, so I was five years old and that's when it's okay. 
your, they checked my sister with an um, auditory brainstem response. They figured it out. And then they said, okay, we need to check your other two kids. My brother was normal. I was deaf in one ear. And from that point, it was the treatment was preferential seating in the classroom. Sure. And so I'm sure we'll get more into that. But uh, yeah, I, I wasn't found out till I was five. And I would never have been if, well, it would have been a lot, lot later until I was found out if my sister wasn't born. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, it's such an interesting thing that you guys are a part of the timeline of the newborn hearing screening rollout. You know what I mean? You're like the perfect picture of the importance of it. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of have like a, a really interesting timeline through that process. And I, that makes total sense with your, your dad and your grandpa kind of flying under the radar. Like, and yeah. I, I think that should definitely be what we get into next. Unilateral hearing loss so often flies under the radar. I'd love to hear more about your experience I mean, I know it's really become something better researched and better understood, especially in the world of like childhood language development, as we learn about listening fatigue and listening effort, because for the longest time, it was just thought, you know, unilateral hearing loss, if you have a normal ear, you've got enough to develop speech and spoken language, and that's enough, right? But we're learning that, you know what, preferential seating and just waiting for things to go okay isn't really the best strategy. So could you speak a little bit to... So your experience growing up with the unilateral hearing loss and what that was like in school and things like that? Yes. So exactly what you're saying. It's when when enough research showed and enough just experience showed that kids with unilateral hearing loss develop normal speech and language, that's such a high priority that, okay, good enough, great. Okay, but what about the kids that have uh, bilateral hearing loss and and they're not speaking properly and and having delays in school? So um, it's it's nice to that we have a lot of research now and a lot of this proof showing that no kids with unilateral hearing loss do have issues in school. There there's a lot of similar issues and a lot of different issues. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most profound, no pun intended, but one of the most profound statistics that I remember is that uh, especially when working on my dissertation is that um, students with with unilateral hearing loss or especially single-sided deafness are twice as likely to fail a grade and have to repeat it than kids with with uh bilateral hearing loss whether it's mild moderate severe um obviously pending that those kids have hearing aids to treat it but kids with untreated single-sided deafness are more likely to skip um not skip a grade the opposite to fail and have to repeat it and um, so as far as my personal experiences, a lot of things made sense to me once I comp- was going through my doctoral program and even my undergraduate program when I was learning about these effects, a lot made sense to me about my childhood and my uh, being in school. I was always pinned as the kid who wasn't paying attention. I was pinned as yeah. the space, space cadet and not to put a negative uh, term to it, but that's what I was always pinned as that. And it took it, and all the adults thought it. Um, my coaches at tennis camp thought it. Um, adults, like everyone, just I would be the one, just not really f- necessarily following along with what everyone was doing in the classroom. Because guess what? I didn't hear the instructions, but I didn't know that know that at the time. I just have these vague, distant me- memories of uh, kind of listening, and you know, just the teacher sounds like rah, 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 and things aren't that clear. Sure. Uh, the teachers in the class, and then all the the kids maybe are making noise or shuffling and their papers or their desks, their chairs are, are shuffling. So there's some background noise all the time. And then the teacher stops talking and I see that everyone like in unison starts doing something. They all take their pencil out. They all 
get their paper out. They all open their book. Yeah. I just remember so many times just looking around and getting this anxiety of like, why, what are they all doing? What are, what are we working on? What did I miss? And I kind of have to ask around or I kind of sit with my hands in my lap until a teacher comes and asks, asks me what I'm doing and have you gotten started yet? And then they, they give me all the instructions. And what does that look like to a teacher that I was daydreaming probably. And then mm. what was going on when everyone started the, the assignment. So that, that sure. was like, I don't know. And when I was older, I was able to, um, I ended up when I started really caring about my, my grades and, and when school became very important and things like that, obviously I was paying way more attention, raising my hand, asking questions, but my mom made sure that every classroom I was in, every teacher knew that I was not only front and kind of center, but more to the, to the right side. So more of the classroom was on my left. So I would catch more. Uh, so my mom made sure that, uh, that that was always taken care of, but not to mention my attention's not the best to begin with, but it I really uh, it would really didn't help to also have single-sided deafness um, as far as school. Um, my speech developed normally, so no one thinks I have hearing loss. Um, safety was a big thing as far as yeah in the street. Imagine just anytime you teach a child um, to when you're crossing the street, hold my hand, look both ways, and when there's no one there to hold your, hold your hand, you have to make sure you're doing it safely when you're playing ball in the street with all the other kids and everyone yells car and runs off to the side of the road back when that's how we played um as kids in our generation the millennials um yeah of course yeah i mean i didn't know i would never know where a car is coming from i would never hear the car and um so i was taught to look both ways three times before crossing the street my mom always had eyes on me um, when I was small and, and really made sure that I always checked out for these things and also for my sister too, uh, because she would, had more disadvantage than I did, but, um, safety was a big thing. And all of that translates into like adulthood too. Um, and I imagine we'll, we'll talk about this at some point, but there's, there's so many ways that, that adult, even more ways that adulthood is affected by <laughs> unilateral hearing loss. Yeah. Um, why don't we Why don't we jump into that then? Thank you for sharing that, by the way. I mean, I know that I have a couple of uh, kiddos on my caseload now who have a unilateral hearing loss, specifically one with SSD. And I think of you every time and I'm like, okay, yeah. I need to make sure I'm really fighting for this kid because yeah. their school is not going to be as, you know, generous with the services for them if they've got that one normal ear yeah. and we have to make sure we're putting everything we can in for them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, why don't we switch gears? I know we took... Um, you're a little bit older than me, but we took psychoacoustics together in our AUD program because um, that was just a strange transitional year. Yes. But if we remember anything from psychoacoustics, we talked about the the reason we have two ears, the reason that, you know, humans have two ears. And there's a couple of different benefits. Um, would you mind breaking those down a little bit? I joked at the beginning about squelch. I remember that squelch is kind of like that cocktail party effect. It's that ability to filter noise, something mm-hmm. like that. But could you give us a little refresher on that? Yeah, mainly it's just a really cool word to say, so that's why we use it, honestly. I, yeah, it makes me think of like a, a big boot in the mud, a good squelch. That's what I, that's what always comes to mind. That's right. So when it comes to having unilateral hearing loss, you have one ear. Um, you have all the the disadvantages that a person with traditional bilateral hearing loss has for the most part, but then you've got some additional things. So Number one, your world is 
compared to people with two ears, your road is just softer because less signal is getting to the brain. You've got one road of the signal, the auditory signal getting to the brain instead of two. So your world is just going to be a bit softer right off the bat. Um, localization is affected, meaning that we can't do it. Uh, we can't do it standing still, let me put it that way. Um, and then the third thing is that uh, speech understanding and noise is very difficult and, and uh, dramatically impacted. So your world is softer, you can't localize the source of a of a sound and then understanding speech when there's background noise is, is affected. So when it comes to localization, when we have two ears that are working and they're symmetrical or closely symmetrical, our brain is able to use timing cues, frequency cues, and intensity cues to determine automatically the localization, sorry, the location of a sound source. We don't do anything ourselves. We're not consciously calculating anything. It's just that the brain can tell the timing difference that a sound, a dog barking, for example, that dog's bark reached one ear before the other, timing wise, that's one. Sure. Um, when those, that dog's bark is carried by a sound wave and depending on the frequency of it, whether it's low frequency, these big long waves or high frequency, these little up and down waves, um, depending on the frequency, it's going to hit one ear at one phase and then by the time it crosses over the head, there's that head shadow effect that reaches the other ear, it's going to hit it at a different phase. And then just depending on which phase hit which ear, that is a cue that the brain uses. And then the intensity cues, it's going to hit the ear that it, it gets to first, it's going to be louder than when it travels that much of a distance past your head and your head is again shadowing and reducing some of that intensity or volume by the time it gets to the other ear it's going to be um, that much softer and so these three cues are used by the brain to determine the location and really i mean we can do um, vertical localization horizontal localization all kinds of angles and then we just automatically turn and orient our head towards the source of it when you have one ear you can't have all that fun you don't you can't localize it's kind of like when you have two eyes, you can have depth perception. Sure. But when you close one eye and try and throw a football with your friend or, or something of that nature, you you only have that one eye. There's no comparison between the two for your brain to be able to uh, perceive depth. So when you've got that one ear, you there there's no secondary route of signal to compare it to. It all goes through one side. So if I am standing still, I cannot localize to save my life. If I spin around in circles while someone is calling my name, I will eventually find them. You better believe me, but yeah. I will look like a goof in the process. And it's happened countless times in my life. I'm always spinning in circles until I find out where, oh gosh, if I've ever not remembered where I parked my car in a parking garage and I set oh, no. the alarm on purpose, you'll, you'll see that I'm the person doing circles in the parking lot looking for, and I'm also luckily looking for the lights, which is nice. The lights. Sure but uh people call my name on campus and i was at jmu and whoop time to start my spins and i was just 360 kind of going around <laughs> because then that that one ear is like a radar and just sure. tracking and scanning for when i hear it the loudest so that's that's a fun thing that i do with my time that's a great strategy <laughs> it's super great um, <laughs> oh my gosh um just think random stories that come to mind i 
lived alone in my doctoral program, I had a cat. I have a cat named Jerry and she's still with me. Um, and my, um, a smoke detector in the, the apartment, the four units that were around me, uh, a smoke detector was on low battery. And so it does that really annoying chirp, a really high oh, yes. chirp, but yeah. it does it once. And then what, like every 15 minutes or every half hour, you know, it just does it all one, one yeah. chirp and yeah. then it stops. Okay. That's not enough time for me to do any 360 radar checking with my one ear, right? So I couldn't tell if it was my apartment and if my apartment, which one in my apartment. And I couldn't tell if it was, um, because again, I, I couldn't tell like if it was, it was kind of loud. Is it my apartment or is it the apartment below me? Meaning mm -hmm. I, I had my ear to my floor and listening for the apartment below me for the oh my goodness. I went out to the hallway, listened to that one. I, I could, I was confident it wasn't the one over and down because it was too far away, but I would just sit there and just stare on the, sitting on the couch, staring at my cat waiting because when the chirp happened, her ears would automatically, automatically perk towards the, the location. Um, wow. and I would wait for that. And the first like few hours of, chirps meaning like four chirps um her ears were were checking or were kind of turning in that direction and it mm -hmm. helped a little bit but then but then after that as we know in audiology habituation happens it was no longer interesting to her or it oh, novel anymore so after a few hours she wouldn't react to it anymore so i didn't have my cat to help me and um yeah so so that's that's how your life is affected by single sight. That is a great story it's, illustrating. It's really not that big a deal, but it's a, there's a lot that goes into to that, to not being able to localize. Um, and uh, one of the other things, I, I'm, I'm thinking of them, do you mind if I keep going? No, go. The, uh, something that's more, just a little bit more serious than that little fun trying to figure out my, where my smoke detector is uh, or which one in an apartment is uh, going off. When I'm driving, and this goes for anyone with single-sided deafness, um, or anyone with an, enough of an asymmetry between their ears, sure. you just have a severe hearing loss in one ear and a mild hearing loss in the other ear, and you are dealing with the same things I'm talking about. Um, mine is just the most extreme version. So driving, when I hear an ambulance, if I'm driving alone, I need to watch, kind of slow down and watch the cars around me, what they're doing, because I don't know if the ambulance is coming is, is coming from behind me on my road and I need to get out of the way or if the ambulance is on the other side of the road and I don't need to pay attention to it. When I'm, there's other people in the car, meaning most of the time it's my husband, I'm always asking him the second an ambulance happened, um, siren is heard, we both immediately stop the conversation because he knows I'm about to ask, where is it coming from? And he says, it's across the street or it's on the other, the opposing traffic or sure. it's behind you, you should pull over. Um, and again, I'm still watching the cars around me, but the first thing I need to do is I need to ask the people in my car where the ambulance is coming from or the, the police siren. So things like that are a little more, yeah, little wow. more serious, but you learn to, you learn to quickly use your eyes and figure out where it's coming from. And any people like my sister, she's completely deaf. She will have to, and, and deaf people are actually, um, con contradicting the, the myth Deaf people are actually really good drivers. They're some of the best drivers because they have zero distractions. They 
they focus so much on the road. Their eyes are always peeled for everything and anything. Yeah. And so they're the most cautious drivers, typically. Um, and so they're always checking the behavior of the other cars on the road. But my sister has, it's harder for her too, because she's going to look for the lights, but she's really going to uh, be checking the cars around her and what she needs to do uh, to blend in with the behavior. So yeah, um, wow. Those are really great insights. I'm so glad that you shared those. I mean, that's that's a really awesome look at the little things that we don't even really consider, you know, having such an impact, but that you have to be mindful of all the time. And your sister yeah. too. I mean, that's that's really great. Yeah, and there, I mean, just even little things that we, little things that I I didn't realize until I was older that they are special to me, um, that other people probably don't have to worry about. Think about just like going jogging or running. I think it's a common tip for young women to be told or any women to be told when you go running, right? To It's not really smart to run at night or by yourself or with your headphones in your ears, right? Because someone could sneak up on you. So that's just a, a common thing. Women carry pepper spray and maybe they'll yeah. run with one ear earbud in and one earbud out maybe so that they can be aware of their surroundings if anyone were to sneak up on them. And so that's another thing that when you have hearing loss, especially unilateral hearing loss, but just hearing loss in general, um, just you running is super, super boring in my opinion and super sucky if you don't have any music, but yeah. a safety issue to, to for their surrounding cars and for people sneaking up on you, you don't want to plug up your ears yeah. and give yourself any more of a disadvantage. Um, we already talked about crossing the street um sleeping if you have unilateral hearing loss or again any type of hearing loss when you're sleeping at night i have a lot of patients tell me that they are nervous if they're sleeping at home and their partner is away on business or, or vacation mm -hmm. they're nervous of someone what if what if someone broke into the house what if there was an emergency and they're they you don't sleep with your hearing aids typically i've got maybe three patients and yeah. uh, that sleep with hearing aids because they live alone and they're very nervous. But when you have mm -hmm. unilateral hearing loss um, or single-sided deafness, when I'm sleeping on my good ear, I don't, I really don't hear that much. Um, when I'm sleeping on my bad ear to the pillow, I hear everything very, very clearly. Yeah. Um, so that's again, a safety issue if you're, if you sleep alone or, if, um, you know, just as far as uh, being aware of your surroundings, but it's also, I will admit it's a blessing because you can sleep in with people being noisy around you. You can just mm -hmm. go on your, your good ear and, and kind of deafen it out. So it's, it's, yeah. it's an advantage and a disadvantage. Okay. So that actually leads me to another question. Mm -hmm. um, what, so I'm pretty sure you wear a cross hearing aid, but what can someone do if they are, I mean, I guess some of our audiologists out there, they know some of the options out there, but what's been your experience in terms of intervention for your unilateral hearing loss? Has it been positive or negative? And I have, once we, if, if you're still wearing your cross hearing aid, I'm not sure if you are, but I have a question I've always wanted to ask you about that, but I haven't yet. So first of all, do you wear a cross hearing aid? Yes, I wear okay. a cross hearing aid and I've worn a cross since probably my second or third year. I think my second year in my doctoral program. Okay. So here is my question, and I because I don't have any patients on my caseload in a cross for some reason. They mm -hmm. they like I'm mostly CCIs for the most part. Mm -hmm. But here's my question, and, and and you know what? Let's set it up with here. I'll quickly explain what a cross hearing it is, just in case there's anyone out there who isn't aware. But essentially, um, on the patient's good ear, that's where you're going to put what is 
you know, basically the same thing as a hearing aid, but the goal is not to amplify any sound. It looks a lot like a hearing aid and it's going to be outputting sound. And on the side with the, uh, with the deafness or the profound hearing loss, depending on degree, you have something that also looks like a hearing aid, but instead of amplifying or outputting any sound, it just has microphones that input the sound and then transmit that signal to the opposite ear, um, the good ear, and then play the sound on that side. So a contralateral routing of signal across hearing aid. Exactly. So when you use yours, obviously you know what sound sounds like on your good side, right? And so when sound is quote unquote coming from the other ear, mm-hmm. does it have a different quality and you're better able to differ- differentiate if it came from that side? Or is it just that you get the signal from that side and that's better than not getting a signal from that side? Does that question make sense? It's a fantastic question. Yeah. And not a lot of people really think about that. Um, very, very good question. So when I was set up as strictly cross meaning exactly how you described it, that my the hearing aid on my good ear did not do any amplification. It purely just put in the signal from the bad side, from that mm-hmm. microphone picking up sound on my bad side and sending it over. Um, when I was set up strictly as a cross, I could tell if the person was very close to me, meaning probably within a foot, I would say. So if I closed my eyes and someone was right to my left, within a foot of me, um, and they were talking, it sounded natural. It sounded like just normal speech, like I'm used to hearing without a cross. And then sure. when they were on my bad side, and if I had my eyes closed again and they were talking, I could tell that it sounded like someone was talking through a very clear microphone, kind of like a PA system or yeah, or like a microphone on stage or on the phone, just a really good, crisp, clear microphone. It sounded, it had that slight electronic microphone quality to it. And so Yes, if I close my eyes and someone went on my left or my right side and they were close to me, especially if they were whispering or leaning in, mm-hmm. telling me a secret, I could definitely tell. If it was a hug, I could definitely tell the difference between one sounded like it was a clear microphone and one sounded like it was natural speech. Behind me, mm, no, I, I couldn't tell a difference much. And then okay. in front of me, I couldn't tell a difference much. Now, I don't walk around with my eyes closed. Um <laughs> Sure. I walk around, you know, spinning in circles, but not with my eyes closed. So <laughs> <laughs> I, um, and that was just an experiment I did with my, just with myself to see if I could tell, um, because someone, people have asked, oh, does it help with localization? And as we're mm-hmm. probably going to talk about with, um, Baja and with Cross, you don't get true localization. You cannot have true localization if one ear is, is dead or unusable. If only one ear has proper hearing or any amount of set, um, sound able to go through to the brain then it's never true localization. But did I learn over time in shorter and shorter um, ways and shorter timing to be able to figure out that someone was on my, I heard someone talking and oh, I, I, I turned to the right after a few seconds mm-hmm. automatically. It's because it did have a slightly uh, microphone quality to it versus the, the other side sounded more natural. I might turn a little bit. That, that took like, a year, maybe somewhere around a year mark of ha- of wearing my cross hearing aids all day, every day to, to, to be able to use that cue, but it's not true localization. It's just a, a cue that you learn over time. Yeah. Uh, just like muscle memory. The, I said strictly with a cross, I was able to do that eventually, but actually lately in the last year, I decided to take the advice of my 
rep for the manufacturer of my hearing aid um, or my cross and to, um, to activate the hearing aid features of my hearing aid, meaning just okay. to turn on amp amplification, super, super low mm -hmm. level amplification, just a little bit. And, but I don't need that, right? Because I have perfect hearing in that ear, but it does help to have a little bit of, when you're in a, when you're in noisy places, it helps to have a, a low level of amplification. Um, but the point of that is there are, especially with the app that you have, all these Hearing aids have apps now that you can control, as you know. Um, sure. With the cross, we finally, the cross hearing aids finally got on the app, which is nice. Um, I can, I could take advantage of some hearing aid features when the hearing aid is activated, which makes sense because, yeah, yeah. Like meaning that spatial configuration on my app, which is um, an app for directionality I, um, or a, a page of the app that gives me some directionality control, meaning I can choose my polar plot. I can choose a backward facing awesome. plot because I'm driving and I want to hear someone in the backseat of my car, or I'm sitting in a movie theater and I have people on either side of me, but my husband's on my left, all these other people on my right that I don't care to hear. A hearing aid doesn't know or care what your relationships are. The hearing aid is going to pick up human speech <laughs> and really focus on human speech. So I always tell my patients, you want to use directionality, you're, you want to choose your left-facing polar plot because your spouse is on your left, and then it won't focus so much on the people on your right who are human yeah. speaking English, and the hearing aids want to pick that up for you, but it doesn't know that you don't care about that. So sure. I, I can't use any of those polar plots or directionality controls if it's just strictly across with with those cross so when i turn on the amplification on my left even just barely i can barely tell um i can use a lot of uh a lot of features that are only reserved for typically traditional hearing aids which is just a secret that my rep told me and now i can use those for my <laughs> for my own patients so when yeah. i do that i kind of lose that natural side versus microphone-y side i kind mm -hmm. of lose that because now both sound microphone-y so sure. I kind of got, I had to it gave that up on purpose for some other features. So yeah, I got gotcha. you. What other? So I know that you're using a cross currently, but what other options are there for you? And and what ultimately made you go with that one? So as you had mentioned earlier, there's Baja Bone Anchored Hearing Aid. That's an option for single sided deafness and a bunch of other types of hearing loss. I mean, I didn't realize until more recently how many things that Baja can be used for now mm -hmm. after hearing losses and um, things of that nature so we've got Baja we've got Cross CI like you said and that's something I'd love to learn more about actually um, because up until you I think you said last year right up until last year yeah. there it was not an option for people with single-sided deafness and in my opinion I thought okay that makes sense because we've got the one year to carry us and cochlear implants have usually been used as a last resort Mm -hmm. in traditional hearing aids do not help to a certain degree and candidacy is reached so okay yeah i would be i would not be first in line to be chosen for that because i've got i've got a, a perfect hearing ear i've got one so uh but as of recently yes ci is an option um traditional hearing aids i i whenever i talk about my unilateral hearing loss i always talk about it in in the form of single-sided deafness which i kind of forget sometimes but it's it's not fair to include everyone with, with unilateral hearing loss because you can just have a severe unilateral hearing loss or you can have a mild unilateral hearing loss and sure. one single ear. So E and all the things I've mentioned to some extent, as far as disadvantages and how a person can be affected, all of those 
types of whether you have a mild, moderate, moderately severe, severe, or profound hearing loss in one ear, you can experience any of those just to different degrees. Um, so if you do just have a mild or moderate hearing loss, yeah, or severe, you can if if hearing if that ear is usable and we yeah. can gain in there that's beneficial, then you can just have one traditional hearing aid. And I've had patients where it's like they have a severe hearing loss and their word wreck is if their word wreck is good, you know, even 60%, 70%, 80%, 90%. Yep. Oh yeah, we're definitely Aid that ear. hearing it. Let's get it on there. Um, but then you've, I've had people that are more like 30%, 20% and it's like, okay. And I will spend the time with them. I will go against the usual way of doing a hearing aid consultation where you go over the information, you pick, you pick the treatment together and then you order it and then they come back and you fit with them, fit them with it. I will throw all that to the side and I will bring them in for just free demos, meaning we are going to try this for two weeks. You are wearing a hearing aid for two weeks and we will see because I can't tell you how you're going to do two different patients with the same hearing loss might, yeah. might react differently. So then I'll bring them back and um, try them with a cross for a couple of weeks and then um, I actually asked uh, one of the manufacturers for Baja to send me the kit. And that's the best thing. One of my favorite things about our field is that our reps for, for our manufacturers and our reps for any hearing aid, Baja, any of these treatments, they are so great into getting awesome. what we need, their awesome. resources, everything. I yeah. get whatever, and it's not just me, but like any audiologist I've worked with, we can get what we need to help our patients because it's going to, in the end, be life-changing. So then I asked, yep. can I get a, can I get a, a starter kit for Baja and just the headband? I just want to put a headband on this person to give them an idea to see, to kind of give them the courage to go have the conversation at the hospital with the Baja audiologist. Mm-hmm. Even though I know about Baja and I can explain it to them, I can demo it on them. I really want them to meet with someone who specializes in it and has done it, does it every day of their, of their career. Whereas I, I haven't had as much of a experience with it just in my yeah. residency. So, you know, I, I, they sent it to me, I put a Baja headband on them and then we put a cross on them. We put a traditional hearing aid on them. And I wanted them to experience everything because I don't want them to say no to something. They don't know what it is. Sure. Um, and so just because they say, well, well, you have one bad ear. I'll just do what you do. Yeah, that sounds really easy and would make my job a lot easier, but that's not what we're doing at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's not I, one size fits all. Exactly. And I want them to have a, a little and, you know, the second you say surgery with Baja, it's um, they, they get nervous. nervous. And, yeah. and going off of what you asked me about bone anchored hearing aid and um, you had already explained really perfectly what a cross is and with a Baja, it's it's a different way of routing the signal to the from the bad side to the good side and you've got this little fixture it's usually titanium but now they can do um adhesive and magnet there's a a few different ways but originally it's like this titanium fixture you um that gets i mean really simple operation it just gets screwed into the skull um on the bad side on the mastoid bone and then that that's really it you have to let that site heal for um a few weeks I don't remember, is it a few weeks, maybe a month? I think it gets better every year as they do more of these surgeries. It depends if you do magnet adhesive or the fixture. But basically when you're all healed up, you just get um, this small 
I'm trying to compare what's what what it would be the size of, but this small amplification device and it and it locks right in, clicks in like a ball and joint uh, kind of connection, and it vibrates the skull with any sound detected on that bad side. And when it vibrates the skull, it's vibrating automatically that other side, the better side, because our intraoral attenuation between the cochleas is zero. So just through the mm -hmm. skull goes right over to the other side. So it's still one, whether it's cross or whether it's Baja, it's still one ear doing the work, which is why people, yeah. I have to remind people, you're not gonna get natural localization because you still have one ear doing the work. Exactly. And your people ask about speech, speech um and noise sorry understanding speech and noise mm -hmm. and that doesn't really get better either because yeah. again it's still one ear doing the work and if anything it depends on is is the noise on the cross side now you've got all this noise picked up on purpose by the cross sure and being sent over to your good ear and it's actually now drowning out any uh useful auditory signal that you really wanted to listen to so yeah. at the wedding you know i just tell people realistically you just i have to counsel them when you're in a really noisy place um bar club yeah. wedding where it's it's just noise all around you you're not going to want to wear the cross you just take it off you might want to take your baja off uh it just realistic things i found personally that i don't want to steer people the wrong way thinking mm -hmm. that you're going to localize properly and you're going to understand speech and noise much better those are things that we just haven't gotten that good with technology we've gotten closer um but if you, you there's just ways that we have to behave and ways we have to sit ourselves or turn our head or use take out sure. app on your smartphone and and adjust it um and i, I felt bad actually <laughs> i talked about with you uh the the three ways that you're affected with single-sided deafness versus having two ears with yeah. hearing loss. And I, I went into all this talk about localization because for some reason I'm very passionate about it. Um, <laughs> but I never really talked about the speech understanding part. And that was, and that's what we liked. We took that class together, that um, psychoacoustics class. And I just wanted to touch on it really quick because I, I totally skipped over it. And it's probably one of the coolest points is that binaural squelch is yeah. Our brain is basically acts as a differential amplifier, which is a super fancy way of saying that when you have two auditory signals that are similar or the same coming in from either ear, by the time it reaches the brain and they're, they, they get added to each other, the right and the left ears. And when they're similar enough, then there's this additive effect where we get a louder, clearer, stronger signal. And then on the reverse, when we have two signals that are coming in, one from the right ear, one from the left ear, and they're more random, um, not, not so similar, and that's aka noise, white noise, mm -hmm. static noise, just um, party noise, that um, just a, a bunch of speech babble, things like that. That's not similar, so when it gets added to each other, uh, there's this little bit of cancellation effect. Not that it cancels out everything, but parts of it can kind of squelch or get canceled out and therefore it just ends up being a little on the softer side than originally when it's measured out out around you so we have this natural improved signal signal to noise ratio when you have two ears that speech signals get pulled out of the noise um, they get a little bit louder and clearer and then the noise gets a little just a little more filtered a little softer and therefore we can do we can perform better in those situations when you have two ears when you have one ear 
for this major asymmetry between the ears, then the noise and the speech goes in the same way through one ear, mm-hmm. one one roadway to the brain, and it's all mixed yep. together, and there's nothing to do to separate them. So we don't have that differential amplifier. So that's yeah. uh, that's a big. I just I completely like skipped over that 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 discussion when I was so yeah, focused no. on localization. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a big deal. It's critical. Yeah. And, I, and yeah, I'm just going to be stuck. I'm going to be thinking of squelch all week now. It's just such a great word. It's such an important mechanism of our brain and our auditory system. And people with unilateral hearing loss, you know, they don't have access to that. And I think when you were talking earlier, we, we were, you were mentioning a little bit about, you know, realistic expectations. And I really think that's the name of the game. Yeah. With any intervention option for unilateral hearing loss, there really isn't it's definitely not one size fits all, but it's also there really isn't that perfect option. We don't we don't have a way to just restore, you know, all of the ability on that side to make it natural, to make it balanced. It just doesn't doesn't exist. And so realistic yeah. expectations are key and talking about, you know, what specific goals are for patients. Absolutely. And I think part of it and I'm not complaining in any way because it's just how it is, it just makes sense, but there are more people in the world that have hearing loss in both ears, just by the nature of how hearing loss usually comes about in all the ways it can. And there are less people out there with unilateral hearing loss or single-sided deafness. So where are the manufacturers and the researchers? Where is everyone going to spend their their time sure. and money on? It's going to be on, on the, mo- the most vital issues that come with bilateral hearing loss. And one of the biggest things is noise reduction or complaining about understanding speech and noise and doing it with two hearing aids, reducing it and getting those algorithms as, as good as we can. So it's not, it's, it's, it's just naturally what happens. So all these patients I've had that have had that have bilateral hearing loss, they've had Bluetooth rechargeability, Bluetooth and rechargeability and an app on their phone. Mm-hmm. They've had all these cool features for, a few years now, a couple years, and and it's it's getting better every every year. Um, but yeah, that that technology has been around for for a while. Honestly, it's just getting better. Yeah, cross like for us single sided deafness people, the cross just became rechargeable mm-hmm. just recently, and we just got Bluetooth. Super yep. excited, um, and and we we can now control the cross side. In general, we can control it, the volume of it. I have access mm-hmm. to control that and the app on my phone. So we eventually get everything, but we're kind of last in line to get it, but it's still it's still great that the manufacturers focus on it. And before maybe one or two manufacturers did cross, now we've got a few more. So we definitely are getting um, getting what we need. And it just, it makes sense that a lot of the, the focus has been on what more people suffer from. Um, and, and another thing going off of that, I told you when I was a kid growing up, I, the, the treatment was um, preferential seating, right? And yeah. I'm looking both ways when you cross the street. And now we've got AHA for kids and mm-hmm. a headband before surgery. And then you've got cross and CI. And I didn't mention before, I forgot, but FM systems are huge. Yeah. That was not something I got my first FM system and only FM system at JMU when I was a wow, kid. Yeah. And it's because my professors uh, pushed me to do it. And I thought, well, I'm, I have good grades already. What's I've been dealing mm-hmm. with this my whole life. I don't know the difference. What's the point? And then 
I didn't realize until they kind of pushed me to do it that, okay, I can get the same good grades, but I'm not as tired at the end of the day. That listening you talked about, I'm not struggling as hard. I am not squinting as much. I am not sacrificing so much to get the same achievement. And that's everything Mm -hmm. that equality and accessibility is all about. So um, those moments I'll never forget in college because I use them every day when I'm counseling my patients. Yeah. Okay. Great transition. We're coming up. We've only got, you know, a little bit of time left, but I've, I've got to know, um, how does having unilateral hearing loss impact your work as an audiologist? Um, does it make your job harder? Does it make it easier? Um, and I know you are really a big proponent for making patients, you know, better self-advocates for their hearing loss. I'm sure over your life, you've had to become, you know, your own self-advocate. Um, and so How's it impacting your job and what strategies do you have for audiologists out there to be you know, better about making their patients self-advocates? Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, hopefully I can give as much of this information because I feel so strongly about it. Um, mm. And so as far as hard, does it make my job harder? Not for a second. Never, ever. Nope. Um, the only way I joke sometimes is that now that we've got um, everyone's wearing a mask, which is good. We should wear masks. But when I'm giving, <laughs> when I'm giving um, speech, uh, speech testing, or I'm doing word rec, uh, or anything of that nature. And I, I usually read their lips to make sure that I heard back the right word. Um, and so lately, when they, when everyone's wearing a mask, sometimes I don't know if they actually said the right word, and I don't want to give them the wrong score. So I have to say, can you use that in a sentence? And do, and I think, okay, you got it correct, perfect. So just a little joke, but lip reading, I need to lip read to make sure that I hear them back. They're trying to make sure they hear me for the for the test, but. Uh, yeah. But no, it does not make my job any harder at all. It only makes my job easier and just more beneficial in every single way. Um, there's so many advantages I get to it, which is nice um, because I can help my patients better. So it helps to know what people are dealing with from experiencing it myself, not just counseling parents about their kids, but counseling adults and being able to... I very easily relate to them because they say, oh yeah, when an ambulance comes by, ha ha ha, when the smoke detector goes up, is, am yeah. I right? Like, oh, when, you, when you're sleeping on the good side versus the bad side, ha ha. And we, we get connected very quickly because I am telling them their life story and I just met them. Um, yeah. And that can go for even just bilateral hearing loss, let alone I connect with them even more so with the unique, uh, the unique parts and nuances with, with unilateral hearing loss. Um, it helps to counsel uh, because there's this there's this automatic trust that we have this shared experience. So I would they kind of they would they think and understand that I would know what I'm talking about because I deal with it myself. How do how do I deal with it? And then telling them how to deal with it. Mm. So counseling is just a lot easier. Developing that yeah. trust, relating to patients, um, and probably my favorite thing is that just who I am naturally. I'm a very, if you ask all my, my friends and family, and you know me, I'm a very uh, bubbly, energetic, peppy person. And so I'm, I, I, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know. know. No, no, you are. <laughs> so, you're 100%. <laughs> so I have, I have this personality about me and then and then I whip out my hearing aid and show them, oh yeah, I've got hearing loss too. It's, you know, it's cool. And then they think, and but they're coming in like, kind of afraid to talk about it and yeah I, I guess I do ask people for repetition but I don't think it's that bad and they're kind of defending themselves and and there's this stigma that they might have or the shame or embarrassment they that they might carry oh you know at, at 
the retirement party, they told a speech and I didn't understand. And then everyone started laughing at the joke and I missed all, all the stories. Mm. And so there's all this negativity that gets carried into the appointment on their shoulders. And then I say, I ask all the questions to the case history and I ask, have you considered a hearing aid? What do you know about hearing aids? Just so I know how you want to talk about this at the end of the test. And then they say, oh, no, I haven't I haven't tried hearing aids. I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm kind of nervous. And then I say, oh, well, here, look, I've got one. Here's what it looks like. And I mean, their eyes get really big. And what are how, you, you have hearing loss? Why do you have hearing loss? I didn't even know you were wearing that. I don't I can't even see it. It's so small. And mm. I'm this bubbly, peppy person coming in like there's nothing wrong in my life. Everything's so happy and positive and optimistic yeah. and taking that and translating it to them. And it doesn't happen in one conversation. And that's the beautiful thing with audiology is that you or speech pathology is when you work with your patient, you are working with them session after session and you are it's it's a process and a journey. And every conversation we have every day, I see them. I'm talking to them about advocating for themselves and the hearing aid is not going to fix everything. It's a device. It's a very advanced piece of technology that you wear, but you need to change your behaviors and how you talk to other people and what you ask from other people to make sure that you can have the hearing aid doing the best job it can, but also not relying on it because there's things that are just purely communication strategies. So I spend probably 15 minutes counseling my patients about communication strategies, things they need to do and need to ask other people to do, um, hearing aid or no hearing aid. Um, and then also to advocate for themselves, you need to tell people and don't be ashamed of it. You need to say, hey, I have a hearing loss. Can you say that one more time, a little louder? Oh, people are going to, if you just say, huh, what? People are gonna just yell a little bit louder. Huh, what? They're going to get frustrated and yell a bit louder. Eventually they're just gonna say, "Never mind." But yeah. if you tell them, I have a hearing loss, can you say that a little bit louder? Can you say it a little bit slower? Um, hey, there's some background noise behind you. Can we switch? Can we switch places so that the noise is behind me? I'll hear you a little bit better. If you give people, this is the biggest thing I tell everyone. I spend another 10 minutes on this with every patient. It's more important than any programming I can do. And the programming is obviously very important of the hearing aid, but this goes way further is I tell people, if you give them the answer, if you give them the solution, it will make both of your lives easier. Both parties will wow. get less frustrated. So I tell every patient, do not say what you've been saying for years. Huh? What? That just, people will think that you're deaf, that your hearing aid's not working. And I know your hearing aid's working, because I made it work. Um, or they'll <laughs> think you're not paying attention. They'll think you're not interested. No, no, no. Take the blame off yourself. You need to change the, the, the perspective here. You need to tell the person what you need. Sometimes, most of the time, it's that you need them to talk slower because people our age, you and me as millennials, we talk a mile a minute. Yep. And other people, they, they're talking with their backs turned to the person. They're talking from down the hall, from another room. They're talking too fast. They're talking with their mouth full. They're talking with background noise. Mm -hmm. They're doing all these things that are going to make it harder. The hearing aid's not magical, okay? It's not gonna just turn off the dishwasher for you and turn off the football game. <laughs> It will do a lot, but it won't do everything. So I tell them, you need to tell the person. You need to decide for yourself what, what the problem was. Most people just, if you say, huh, or what, they'll start, they'll just start raising their voice. The hearing aid's doing that. The hearing aid's amplifying. That's the one thing the hearing aid is definitely doing. So, so you need to tell them what to do. Hey, can you say that a little slower? Hey, can you say that um, 
with your with your mouth facing me. Hey, can we just turn off the TV? Can you repeat that one more time? Sometimes it's yeah. Hey, can you can you talk a little bit louder? Just you need to tell the person what it is you need, and then and then it'll just be so much easier because you've given them the key. When someone walks or is rolling through with a wheelchair and you see that the door is closed, anyone, I would hope anyone around here would would see that and think I need to open the door for that person, mm. right? You see the wheelchair and you mm-hmm. need to open the door for the person. The person's walking through with crutches and yeah. you see, you open the door for them. The person dropped their glasses and they're on the floor with their hands spread out trying to find their glasses. You go pick up their glasses. No one sees hearing loss. It is a completely invisible condition. We cannot wow. see hearing loss anymore because they're hiding behind our heads. Or yes, they are. So it's not tattooed on our forehead. And so no one knows what to do for you. They don't know to open the door for you in that metaphorical way. Like you see a wheelchair or you see mm-hmm. some crutches. So there's, you just have to give them the answer and then, and then everything will be a lot easier. So that's, I'm just out of breath because this is like the lecture I give every day to every patient. <laughs> so much. It's such a huge thing. It's my biggest, my biggest priority. And what I would, I would recommend any audiologist focus, focus on not so much the, the hearing aid. The hearing aid will do its job if the audiologist does its job, but you need to empower the patient and give the, the, the patient the tools so that they can handle it from here on out. Wow. Sophie, that was amazing. I. That was awesome. I love that illustration of, you know, the hearing loss being invisible and you just have to show them where the problem is and they'll help you too. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. Not passionate about it or anything. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't get that feeling at all. Thank you so much again. This has just been the best. I I really appreciate you coming on. I knew it was going to be really fun because you were just that person, but this was even better than I could have hoped for. Thank you. You made my entire year by asking me to do this. Uh, <laughs> for me to even feel like I, I deserve to be on here, that I that you think I'm worthy of this. I'm so excited to have No, you. no, no. You're more than that. Um, if people wanted to reach out to you, if they had any questions or wanted some specific feedback or anything like that, is there an email address they could reach you at? Yes, it is my first name, uh, followed by audiology at gmail.com. So, and it's, it's Sophie, um, as opposed to Sophia, because I felt like it that day. So <laughs> the day that I made it. So it's Sophie audiology at gmail.com. And Sophie is spelled S like Sam, O like Oscar, F like Frank, I like ice cream, E like elephant at first. Yeah, sophieaudiology at gmail.com. Email me anytime. Awesome. I know you'll be quick to respond because you are that kind of caring clinician. All right, awesome. Give me just a second. Um, We're going to switch over to questions. Awesome. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and rating. This podcast is part of an audio course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. Check out the website if you'd like to learn more about the CEU opportunities available for this episode, as well as archived episodes. Just head to speechtherapypd.com ear. That's speechtherapypd.com E-A-R.